0: groups and answer a question. I'm not going to do that, but I do have a question for you, and you'll see why I'm not going to have you talk in groups in just a second. Um, I'm going to have you think about something, and the the guilty person might be sitting next to you, so just keep that in mind. I want want you to think about the answer to yourself, nothing out loud, though. What was the worst gift you've ever received? You know, this is where if you're talking to to each other, oh, I thought you liked that. No, I didn't like it. And then, then the whole sermon's gone. What was the worst gift you ever received? Okay, now the opposite. What's the best gift you ever received? You know, someone gives it to you, you open it up like, wow, uh, the best gift you ever received. Now, the other reason I don't want you to talk about that is because it's not really the gift itself that I'm really, I want to focus on or ask you about. What I'm, what I'm wondering is, how did you react? Someone gave you the worst gift ever. You open it and you open it up and you look at it. How did you react with them standing right there in front of you? Oh, <gasps> thank you. Right? Someone gives you the best gift ever, and you open it up, and they're looking at you. How do you react? Thank you. Isn't it the same way, right? We've trained ourselves to do this. Actually, this is something that's nothing new. This has gone way back. Um, The earliest time that we see this in writing is about 400 A.D. It's written in Latin, and today this saying is in just about every language language on earth, even though hardly anybody understands it anymore. The, The saying is this. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Raise your hand if you've heard that saying before. Okay, good number of you. Some of you haven't, and I'll, I'll admit the first time I heard it, I'm like, "What in the world? Is it going to be mad at me if I look at it, or is it going to be angry, or what, why don't I look a gift horse? What is a gift horse?" Apparently, here's what happened. One day, an, a guy woke up and he said, "You know what? I'm feeling generous. My neighbor needs another horse." So he went out to his shed, he got one of his horses, he carried it over to walked it over to his neighbor's house, and he knocked on the door. He goes, here's, "Here, neighbor, I have a gift for you. It's, my, it's a new horse." just wanted you to have it. And so the neighbor says, oh. And he looks in the horse's mouth. And he closes it. Oh, thank you. And then the guy goes back home. You see, I I didn't understand this, but Google says, and this is one of the few places where Google is going to help me preach a sermon, but Google says that when you look in a horse's mouth, it's the teeth that really tell you the most. The teeth can tell you how old the horse is, and teeth can tell you you the general health of a horse too. So if a horse has good teeth, you know it's a good horse. So, So what this guy was doing, he was looking in the mouth, and he was, oh, what kind of horse are you giving me? And so that guy went back home, and he said, children... Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And, and for some, somehow, some way, that saying has been distributed just about to every language on earth. The idea is pretty simple. It's kind of what we all teach our kids or you know, make ourselves do. When you receive a gift, don't critique it. Don't judge it. Don't figure out if it's worthy of you or not. When someone gives you a gift, you just accept it how it is, you say thank you, and you take that gift gladly, whether you, even if you know it's about to end up in the trash pile. And you accept that gift gladly, even if you know it's going to end up in a glue factory pretty soon, right? You accept the gift no matter what. So there you go, that's proper etiquette. If you ever receive a horse as a gift, now you know, don't look it in the mouth. <laughs> now, I, I want to apply this real quickly, because if that's the way we interact with other people, Is that not also the way we're going to interact with God? God gives you something that's great, that you think is awesome, the best gift ever. Oh, thank you. God gives you the worst gift ever. Oh, thank you. You know, is it the same kind of deal where we just politely say thank you and take it no matter what? You know, maybe down the line, oh, I'm going to throw that one away, or I'm going to keep this. Maybe if you didn't grow up a Christian, that's kind of how you viewed Christians, you know, Christians just take all these things from God. Oh yeah, God gave us the gift of his son. No, oh, thank you. And it's just sort of this polite thing that, okay, whatever you say, I got it. Without even thinking about what he's actually giving. Now there's a lot of different directions we can take this because God gives us a lot of things. But I want to focus us in on one specific thing today. And that is, you know, the reason for this season. Jesus, God gave the gift of his son. And maybe you grew up a Christian, and that's just always been a sort of truth that, you, yeah, God gave me the gift of his son. And you just politely accept it, and, and you don't look the gift horse in the mouth, you know, you don't judge, whatever, whatever. but have you ever taken a close look at him? Is it impolite when God gives you his son to, to look at, okay, what kind of son is this? You know, God only has one son, he didn't have a lot to choose from, so am I getting a good deal on this one, or, you know, what, what kind of son is this? What does it mean? And here's where it gets hard because it's abstract. And okay, time out. Sometimes, you know, by the end of the sermon, I see some people, you know, tearing up, you know, because it's whatever, talking about God and God loves them. I think a lot of you are going to tear up today just because it's so, it's going to give you a headache. You know, all this stuff that we're talking about, it's it's a lot of mental workout. This is abstract stuff. And so I'm going to point it with a, a specific question right here, hopefully just to land you and ground you in one place. And the question is this. What does it mean that God gave his son to you? Think of it literally. God sends you a note. He sends you a certificate. Congratulations, you won. You got the gift of my son. Now, I have a lot of questions when he tells me that. What does it mean? I got your son. I, I'm given him. Uh, Does it mean that he's my uh, little slave? I own him. He belongs to me. He does whatever I want. What does it mean that God gave his son? And the cool thing is God gives us permission. You know, sometimes we're polite about the gifts we receive. We don't want to critique them too much. God gives you his son, but he also gives you a lot of information about him. So that this is, you know, using... Using that phrase, this is a gift horse you can look in the mouth. This is one that you can take a good look at and see what kind of son is this, and what does he do? What what can I expect from him as we look at him? And just to give the disclaimer up front, I kind of hinted at this already. It's I'm just going to make this as a disclaimer. It's your first fill-in on the yellow sheet here. Understanding God with us is beyond our ability. And, you know, not to make you, maybe this gives you permission just to tune out for the rest of the sermon. But basically what I'm saying is what we're about to talk about is something you can't understand. It won't fit between your ears. It doesn't fit between my ears. Uh, It doesn't fit between any human being's ears. Because what we're talking about is far beyond us and above us. And what makes that perfectly clear that this is beyond our ability to understand is the way that John the gospel writer starts off his biography, his gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing a story so that we know who he is. Um, You know how Luke starts off his story, right? That's where we get the Christmas story from. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, right? Luke was very focused on the details, on the story, on the history, on the events and so are Matthew and Mark, the other two gospel writers. John, he's a little different, in a good way. He focuses not just on the historical events, which he does include, but he focuses more on the picture underneath. The, the, the overall question, who is Jesus? Who is Emmanuel? And as you look at the first several verses, the first chapter of his book, he, he uses very simple language. But if you know John, uh, John uses that language in a way that really challenges the way that we think. Uh, The first verse simply goes like this, first part of the first verse. It says, in the beginning. Some people have said that the Christmas story, as told by John, is the longest story ever. It's very short, but it starts off in the beginning. You know why the the, uh, knowledge of, you know completely understanding everything about Jesus, you know why it doesn't fit between your ears? It's because if you really want to understand him, you have to step outside of time. Go back to the beginning because that's when he began. That's where he is. Without beginning. In the beginning, he was already there. I'm not going to dwell too much because I can't explain it anyway, so we'll just keep moving. In the beginning was the Word. And uh, John describes Jesus in this section as the Word. The Word... A word is an expression. Um, We had just read in Hebrews chapter 1 how the the sun is the radiance of the Father. You know, kind of like how heat radiates from the sun. So Jesus radiates from the Father. You can't have one without the other. Well, the the sun is the word. Jesus is the word. Okay, so here's the other thing you have to do. If you want to understand, if you want to fit this between your ears, you have to step outside of this creation you have to understand who God is. Next line. And the word was with God. You know, th- that's something that we struggle with today being with God. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is with us. In fact, so often in our prayers, you know, for praying somebody, for somebody, we say, "Dear God, please be with so and so." We want to assure ourselves that he is with us. We we wrestle with that because of of a sinful world. The thing about Jesus, the thing about the Father is there is No sinfulness. There is no evil. They are with each other. There's a perfect relationship. So, if you want to understand perfectly who Emmanuel is, you have to step outside of your idea of a sinful creation. It goes on. And the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. The Word was God. There are some people who translate this section and they they change this. They say, oh, he was a God or he was, you know, like God. And those people don't know how to translate Greek because it's very clear the word was God. And that doesn't make sense, does it? Uh, How can the word be God if he's with God? And and what does this mean exactly? And here again, I'm going to fall back on my first main point. This is this understanding of who God with us is, is beyond our ability. Because if you really want to understand who he is, you have to step outside of what makes sense. He was with God in the beginning. And now what we're going to see is, John's going to say, okay, I know this is really heavy stuff, really deep stuff. Simple words, simple vocabulary, but the thought, the meaning is is very deep. And so he's going to sort of repeat things a little bit just to sort of set us clear. You know, you might not understand what he's saying, so he's going to say it in different terms. He was with God in the beginning, okay? So he's sort of repeating where he is, where he came from, and it goes on. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, in the word, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. Okay, so there's no mistaking who, who John is claiming Jesus to be. He's from eternity. He's with God. He's from God. He is God. He created all things, and he's the author of life. John doesn't just end his book here. He could have. would have been a very short book. We probably wouldn't call it a book. We'd call it a pamphlet or a paragraph. But he could have ended his book right there and said, all right, there you go. That's who Jesus is, the end. But John understood you more than that. He understood me better than that. What he does is he goes on for several, several, several chapters, and he backs up his claims. Jesus heals people. He cures people. He does miracles. He walks on water. This is one of the things that John, the gospel writer, really focuses on, these miracles, these signs of Jesus' divinity, because he's backing up his claim of this very truth. All throughout his life, Jesus proved it. His life, his death, his resurrection, everything pointed to the truth that he is God. And yet, before we move on, John gives us a little caution, some warning. And this is kind of in tandem with our first fill-in. Um, and it's, it's a warning, not just for the world in general, but, but for you and me, too. He goes on in verse 5 with, with this. He says, the light shines in the darkness, that in other words, Jesus is here. But the darkness has not understood it. Maybe now you're you're thinking, finally, something that I can understand. (laughs) I understand that I don't understand it. That this is something that doesn't make sense. That his presence in our world does not make sense. Who he is doesn't make sense to me. His nature doesn't make sense to me. This is not something that naturally uh, we can understand. And, and this is something that he throws out to us as a caution and a warning. To, to understand that if you try to fit this between your ears, this is not something that's going to work. Um, now, now here's where the story gets a little bit interesting. The truth is, is, is made immediately clear when, when you look at all these different things that, that John is claiming Je- Jesus, God with us, to be much more than just a man. Uh, let's go on with our next uh, slide here. And at the same time, John makes perfectly clear that we cannot understand it. God knew that God with us, Jesus, would how he would be received, and he gave anyway. When God sent his son to this earth, he, he understood that his son would not be received in the best way. That's saying it lightly, right? In fact, Jesus told a parable once of, of a vineyard where the, the owner sent several messengers to the vineyard and, and the, the people who were tending the vineyard killed the, killed the messengers because they wanted to have the vineyard for themselves. Finally, the owner said, I'll send my son. Maybe they'll listen to him. They killed the son too. And that was a picture of what God knew would happen to Jesus. When God sent his son into this world, he knew exactly what was coming up for him. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And here's where the story gets very weird. You know, if, if you and I, if we give gifts to people and they cost us a lot, and the, and the person says, oh, let me look in the mouth, ooh, I don't want that. How do you, do, how do you react? How, how, do you, how do you treat them the next time it's gift season? If someone doesn't want my gifts, then apparently they're above me, right? Why should I give them gifts anyway? They obviously don't need anything from me. That's the way that you and I would react. And it's a good thing that I'm not God, and you're probably agreeing with that too. It's a good thing that none of us are God, because if people reject our gifts, we stop giving them. Here's the surprising thing about God. He knew his gifts would be rejected, but he gave anyway. He sent his son anyway, because he decided to. And as as we bounce this around in our in our minds, maybe maybe that's one thing to let stick in your head and in your heart this week. That that God is so different from us. This is something that if you're in a growth group this week, this is something you're going to talk about. Um, how does this truth change the way we act? You know, if God knew that his gift would be rejected, his gift would be destroyed, and he gave it anyway, how does that affect the way that we live towards others and how we act towards others? God knew his gift would not be received well, but he gave it anyway. In fact, here's what God did. Knowing full well what would happen and knowing everything that would happen, John goes on in his description of Jesus stating it this way. Now, this is jumping ahead to verse 14 here. He said, the word became flesh. That's a very simple sentence, but if you try to unpack it, it's not going to fit inside your head. You could spend the rest of your life thinking about those four words. The word became flesh. How did that happen? When did that happen? You know, we could come up with all these scientific things about how the Virgin Mary became pregnant and gave birth. But but at the end of the day, John simply says this, the Word became flesh. Why? Because God decided to give. How? Because He's God. Some answers don't fit inside of my head, and that's okay. Some answers God doesn't give, and that's okay. Um, emphasize this sentence in your mind The Word became flesh. The Word, the Son of God, became flesh, body, blood. A real person walking this earth. And in the next week, next couple of weeks, we're really going to figure out why he decided to do that. You know, why did he have to become a true man? What did he accomplish by doing that? And, and we'll sort of pick that apart in the next week. But, but first of all, we have to focus on this truth. He became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. <clears throat> now that's pretty incredible, right? The, the, the one who created everything, he decided to become just like us. We, we saw this in the opening video too. The creator of the universe emptied himself. He set aside his privileges. So he could live here. I know that this is a lot of theology, right? Um, Abstract stuff. this is a lot of head stuff. It's making our heads hurt just to try to figure out, you know, what John is saying here. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. You know, on the one hand, it's very simple, right? Jesus is God. He he came here to live with us. Uh, On the other hand, you might be struggling with, you know, what does this really mean for me today? And so to <clears throat> excuse me to send you off today before we, we close, I want to make sure that I send you home with something that's really memorable and that you can think of and help, helps you apply what God with us means. Um, this, the story goes like this. And I, men, you're not going to understand this at first, and so I'll, I'll help you a little, a little bit later. But the story goes like this. There's a man who's walking down the street looking through the windows of the stores. And inside one of the windows, he sees this beautiful vase. Okay, he has to have it. And so he saves up his money and he buys this vase. He takes it home. He puts it in his living room on the mantle, you know, right there in the middle, and it just lights up the whole room. It's beautiful. Uh, but then he, he realizes that the, the, the uh, paint on the walls is kind of faded and worn. And so he, he repaints all the walls a fresh color to match the vase. It looks beautiful. But then he notices that the curtains are old and you know dusty and faded and so he, he replaces the curtains too. And then he notices the carpet. It's old and faded. So he replaces the carpet too and, and the couch and the coffee table and the lamp and you know everything in the room gets replaced. Why? Because one beautiful thing was placed in it. You look at this creation and there was a beautiful thing that god put in it god put his son in this world and things were transformed radically sick people were healed blind people could see again people who couldn't walk could now run dead people came back to life wherever jesus went the environment was vastly transformed and then he died and he rose again now he's in heaven And you might think, where is God with us? Well, here's the truth I really want you to hold on to this week. You see, Jesus didn't just come to be God with us in this world for 30-some years. That wasn't just what he came for. He also came to be God with us inside of your heart. God with us is a very precious thing that God placed inside of your heart by faith. You know, it's that beautiful vase. By the way, guys, I said you're not going to understand it. Instead of vase, just picture 60-inch TV. Oh, okay, I get it now. Jesus is that valuable thing God placed inside of your heart. You're a dwelling place for him now. And do you know what happens when he's somewhere? It's transformed. It's transformed. As soon as, he, as soon as he stepped foot in your heart, he, oh, no, no, this is no good. He washed the entire place with his blood. And as soon as he saw what was in your heart, oh, it's too empty. He filled it up with his free gift of righteousness. He filled it up overflowing. And you know what? He transformed you from something that was sinful to something that God sees as holy. Next week we'll talk about how and why he did that. But he took you, he transformed you from what was set for destruction to now something that's on, a way, on your way to heaven. He transformed you because he's the valuable thing that God placed inside of you. God with us, not just in this world. God with us inside by faith. And, and to sort of land this plane, you, know, you picture what does this look like then? You know, there's all sorts of tension in our country right now, right? You know, um, people boycotting, people laying down in streets, people you know, being unsettled. Uh, and, and everyone's asking, you know, what, how do we fix our country? How do we fix things? And, and I think everyone's looking for uh, more laws, more regulations, or cameras you know, mounted on police uniforms. What could, what could fix everything? Well, what if God was with us? What if God was inside of us transforming our very thoughts, and attitudes what if we had a community where everyone acknowledged god has given us the greatest gift ever by sending his son among us and i wonder what would it look like if we had all the people being transformed on a daily basis you know that's that's really the mission of our church to change lives to change eternities and as, as, we, as we look at that going forward, we, we have some pretty cool options, some pretty cool opportunities that God's giving to us. Um, and, and so as we close up today, yeah, as, we, as we consider God with us and, and the amazing ways that he has transformed us, our, our, our goal and our mission as individuals and as a church is to keep that going, to keep that transformation going by sharing the good news God is with us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, despite the way you knew we would receive your gift, you sent him anyway because you knew that this gift was the only thing that would change our hearts. Remind us of what you have made us to be. That though we were darkness, you became our light. That though we were covered in sin, you washed us and gave us the gift of your righteousness. Help us as your children to remember this great gift you've given us, that you were in this world for us and that you are in us by faith, transforming our hearts and guiding our lives through you. We, we ask your blessing now on our congregation as we look for ways to share this good news of, of God with us, with our community, and specifically as we look at wrapping up our Forward in Faith campaign. We ask you to bless our efforts, bless our leaders and our our planning so that as we finish off paying off this land that we would also uh, look towards building a a structure and a facility that would help us to share that gospel with even more. We pray all this in Jesus' name, also praying the, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.